Empowered Health, a podcast shedding light on how healing is an inside job. Keys to your inner power and total transformation. Discussing wholeness, wellness, and the effects of the mind on the physical and energetic parts of our being. A podcast to support you, moving from fear and pain into wellness and purpose. Belief, hope, connection, energetic keystones for transformation and inner power. Sacred knowledge that inspires us to look within, to find our own unique path. Empowered health, release and rewire to become what you truly are, strong, whole, and empowered. Welcome to the Empowered Health, Empowered Mind podcast, the keys to heart-aligned living. Today we have Dr. Sat Dharm Andi, the mind behind the Healthy Breast Program. She is a graduate from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine with awards in homeopathy and psychology. Sat Dharm earned the Naturopathic Doctor of the Year Award by the Ontario Association of Naturopathic Doctors in the year 2000 for her work in breast cancer prevention and environmental education. She has presented the Healthy Breast Breast Program at World Conferences for Breast Cancer in 1997, 1999, and 2002. She has also developed a beautiful yoga-based addiction recovery program. Welcome, Dr. Sat Dharm. Thank you, great to be here. I just wanted to start this show with a beautiful quote of yours from the beginning of your book, because I think it so encompasses the wholeness of mind, body, and spirit, and the importance of each. And then we're gonna just go into each of them as as you would love to do. I believe that the only way out of the global breast cancer epidemic is through a path of purification. To me, this includes honoring the soul and our unique abilities, being mindful of what and how we eat, releasing toxic emotion, cleansing the body, adopting a spiritual practice which is suited to our individual makeup, and realizing that it is our duty to make the environmental safe and sacred again. I just love how this explores your beautiful heart. So just just start by telling us your passion and your story and how this all began. Well, when I was in my last year of naturopathic college, that would have been 1988, uh, a friend of mine who was living, I lived in a community house and a, a friend of mine was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I was also pregnant at the time with my first child. And it was a very um, intense year, you know, finishing naturopathic college, being pregnant and having someone that I lived with with breast cancer. And I was aware at the time in speaking with her that there was nothing available at that time that integrated naturopathic principles 
in terms of a holistic approach to breast cancer. So she was undergoing chemotherapy, radiation, all of that, but she really didn't know what else to do. And so it was, uh, that was the impetus. I started to kind of pull information together on her behalf. She subsequently died just after my daughter was born. So that was very intense. And, and then I just started to get passionate about it, especially when I realized the environmental links to breast cancer, which at that time I had no idea that, that, these, that this was a problem. And when I, when I um, became aware of the links with pesticides and plastics and bisphenol A and um, heavy metals and, and the many, and the phthalates, you know, the parabens, all of the environmental chemicals, and that they were still in the environment and nothing was being done. I, I was like baffled, how can this be? We know, you know, there's research on all these chemicals and what they're doing to women's bodies, women's health. I'm going to be that there's allowed. And I, I, I took me, I would say, four years to actually come to terms with that. You know, from feeling first despair, disbelief, anger, rage. And then once I had that in me, it was like, well, what am I, what's my responsibility? What am I going to do with this? And I recognized the time that the only way through was to educate women. Because I thought, okay, the um, businesses aren't going to reverse this. The government's not going to do anything about this. Medical doctors aren't going to do any, anything about this. And the naturopathic profession could do something about this global breast cancer epidemic, but the greatest force would be women teaching women. And so that's when this idea sort of hatched, okay, what I could do in my own way was create a program that women could learn, teach other women, share with other women, support each other with, that would not only help to reduce the risk of breast cancer globally, which by then I realized was an epidemic that wasn't going away. And I was thinking about my daughter who was just born. And, my, and right now my daughter is about to have her first baby in December. So my grandchildren and my future generations and and thinking that I, I want to help create a world that's safer for them, where the environment is friendlier, where and we have a responsibility to get rid of these toxins. So that's where it all came from. It came from this really deep emotional place of grief for what, what we had wrought in the world, for grief for my friend who died, for grief for all the women being diagnosed with breast cancer and realizing there was something we could do, something that I knew I could do and then just wanting to make that happen. So that's what started it. And um, not only that, but I've always been very, very close to nature, I would say, very connected. And uh, in the research, I, I discovered that breast cancer was not only affecting humans, but it was affecting seals and whales and um, beluga whales in the St. Lawrence and other mammals. And just thinking about that and thinking, well, what are they going to do? Who's going to do surgery on these animals? You know, they can't go to the hospital. They can't, have, they can't be treated. Mm. So it was also, I felt my responsibility to help other mammals. And the only way I could do that was by educating women. So that was my, that's my rationale. <laughs> as, as convoluted as it, as it may seem, it was, it was a deep impetus to to help reverse this trend that's uh, happening on the planet where humans think that we 
can dominate and take and contaminate with no repercussions. Mm. We really need to bring back harmony. And it's such a beautiful con contribution that you've given to women. Where should we start? There's like so many aspects and so many things that you cover in the book, but you know, even how these toxins affect our hormones might be a good place to start. Yeah, firstly, firstly, I want to say that for the last several years in October, being Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, I, you know, I created a, a foundation called the Mammalai Foundation, and we're posting one tip a day, 31 tips, one tip a day on Facebook and social media. So people can go there to see this, all these various 31 little tips that you can do to reduce your risk of breast cancer. So that's available. But in terms of um, the environment and hormones and where to start, well, I'll, I'll just I'll go through some of the big categories in the environment. So one of them would be pesticides. So there are just a ton of pesticides that have been linked to breast cancer in mice. So the studies are there that these pesticides cause breast cancer. So number one, we want to change the way we do agriculture, period and 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 uh, move towards more organic farming so that we don't have to use so many pesticides until then we can just encourage people to eat organic food and um, grow more of their own food know know their farmers know where their food is coming from and have healthier um, farming practices that take care of the soil better uh, so that's one thing with pesticides the second area is plastics Thank goodness that countries all around the world are, are reducing or you know, single-use plastics or phasing out certain plastics, but plastics contain um, several chemicals that bind to the estrogen receptor and mimic the action of estrogen, as do the pesticides. So what everyone needs to know is that a hormone doesn't do anything until it attaches to a receptor. It's like, here's the hormone, here's the receptor, they become like this. And then they act on the DNA and create a manufactured protein that has an effect on the cell. And the effect of estrogen on breast cells is to cause increased division, increased multiplication of breast cells, so that if there is an existing cancer, it's going to grow faster, or the, the increased estrogen can also create the cancer just because the cells are dividing faster and a mistake could be made in cell division. So we want to um, manage estrogen and manage or eliminate the environmental chemicals that mimic estrogen so that we don't have this increased uh, estrogen dominance as we call it affecting women's bodies so basically it's it's bisphenol a which is being phased out but the some of the canned food the plastic linings of cans used to be bisphenol a now it's some other chemical that may actually be worse than bisphenol a so uh, be careful about uh, hard plastics, they often can contain bisphenol A. And then the soft, flexible plastics uh, can contain something called phthalates, which also mimic the hormone estrogen. So really, we want to phase out plastics, period. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know it sounds like revolutionary, but we, we haven't used plastics before, you know, mid-1900s. So we can go back to glass and metal containers and... Um, uh, wax paper, things like that, to, to so that we're not contaminating the environment with plastics. That would be another thing. 
Uh, the third element that increases estrogenic uh, chemicals in women's bodies would be even the heavy metals. So the heavy metals are known as metalloestrogens, and things like tin and aluminum and cadmium uh, by, and mercury actually bind to the same estrogen receptor. And if we have too much of that in our system, then it mimics the hormone estrogen. So we want to, you know, check for heavy metals and, and then detox those metals from our bodies by seeing an antipathic doctor who can help you to do that. Another category is the fire retardants. This is probably the largest category now. And so the fire retardants are added to almost everything, to computers, to cars, to blinds, to mattresses, to pajamas, um, to carpets. And many of these um, fire retardants contain bromine. And it looks like bromine and chlorine, brominated products, chlorinated products mixed with carbon act like estrogen. So these brominated fire retardants, we have to either get rid of or replace with something else that's safer. Uh, so that's like a political thing. There's not much we can do. And if, if you buy a car, it's got the fire retardants in it, you know. Mm -hmm. um, what I do, did personally is, you know, my blinds are all wooden. My carpets are wool. I don't have any floored, you know, wall-to-wall -wall carpeting. So it's just really limiting the your home environment to be all natural products rather than anything synthetic is the best you can do. Um, some of the other categories, so some powerful solvents, some powerful cleansers, anything with chlorine in it, chlorinated cleaning products will, will, will mimic the hormone estrogen. So you want to limit your exposure to chlorine as well. So that's just some of the environmental pieces. Then there's radiation. So from x-rays and from um, nuclear power, nuclear warfare. We have much more radiation on the planet than there used to be before the Second World War. And this is cumulative radiation. So we're all being exposed to it because it's all over the planet. It doesn't go away. It lasts for thousands of years. So to antidote that, uh, the brown seaweeds like kelp and wakame help the body to expel radioactive materials. We all need more of that. And then the radiation causes free radical damage, so we need many more antioxidants these days than women needed 100 years ago because of the exposure to radiation. And that would be things like eating, drinking green tea or, or matcha, eating goji berries, blueberries. Um, beans have high amounts of an antioxidants. Many of the spices are, are loaded with antioxidants. And taking supplements like vitamin C, coenzyme Q10, grapeseed extract. Um, alpha lipoic acid, some of these antioxidants that we can get through supplementation. Another category uh, in the environment that is linked with breast cancer is um, electromagnetic fields. This is kind of a scary one because of 5G and cell phones and, and we're exposed to these invisible electromagnetic fields that we have no idea how they're affecting our health. But we know that strong electromagnetic fields can be related to an increased risk of breast cancer. So that's a little bit of what's going on in the environment that is very concerning. It is. And you almost need to be very proactive. Yeah. One of, one of the things that, you know, when I was researching all this, I became very despondent. I thought, what the heck can we do? We're doomed, you know. Because one, one of the things that happens is that with every generation, we pass on this body burden to the next generation through breastfeeding and just in utero because these chemicals are stored in our fat cells. 
the, the breasts contain a lot of fat cells. And so that's where it's a dumping ground for these environmental chemicals. But what I found was you can actually sweat them out. That's the best way, is sweating them out. So what I encourage women to do at some point before they have children is to do 150 hours in a sauna. So figure out the fastest time that whether it's an hour a day or three hours a week or half an hour, three times, whatever it is, the, the shortest duration that you can do at 150 hours in a sauna with probably with some naturopathic support as well, because you're going to, you're going to dump some of your healthy minerals and you need some support for the liver and the kidneys, et cetera. But you can get rid of about a, probably up to 90% of your lifetime body burden of these environmental chemicals through sweating them out. It also could be hot yoga, as long as you're always wiping yourself and there's good air circulation, there's an air, pu- air filter. Because as soon as you sweat it out, you've got to wipe it off or you're going to get reabsorb it back in, you know. So that's very helpful for, and hopeful is to thinking about detoxing through the skin to help get rid of some of this body burden so the next generation doesn't have more. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's beautiful. So 150 hours. Yeah. Wow. And then after that, maybe an hour a week is maintenance. But 150 hours is an initial detox. Okay. Very good. And what about foods? There's some foods that help just change the estrogen. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the there are a, a class of foods known as phytoestrogens that bind to the same receptor as estrogens and as these environmental chemicals, but they're too weak to cause cell division. So there's a lot of confusion about it because people think, oh, it's an estrogen. It's going to cause breast cancer. It's not the case. The thing is, we have so many, we have a certain number of receptors and a variety of receptors for estrogen. And so it's like, what are you going to fill those receptors with? Are you going to fill them with a strong estrogen from the body that's going to cause increased cell division? Are you going to fill them with an environmental chemical that doesn't go away, that stays kind of lodged in the body? Or are you going to fill them with a food that will sit on that receptor for a little while, I'm not sure if it's a few hours or a day or whatever it is, until it falls off because the body uses it, because it's a food. And then you need another phytoestrogen to sit on that receptor. So what we want is a steady supply of plant estrogens that are weak estrogens that we know inhibit breast cancer. There's been tons of research on it now, so we know that this is the case. And the main ones would be flaxseed. Flaxseed has the highest amount of phytoestrogens, so you want to have two tablespoons a day of ground flaxseed. You can't eat them without grinding them because they'll go right through you. So you have to grind them, eat them within 15 minutes so the oil doesn't go rancid, or you can cook them. You could cook them in a breakfast cereal, you cook them with beans or something because the tough coat softens with cooking. So you either add them to your breakfast cereal by boiling them. I have a recipe on the mammalive.net website with a, a breakfast cereal that's fantastic with flax seeds and chia seeds and pumpkin seeds and oatmeal and oat bran and goji berries and cinnamon. And it's just a great, um, it tastes wonderful, but it also is very healing in terms of reducing the risk of breast cancer because of the flax seeds and the, the bran and the goji berries in there. So flaxseed would be the first phytoestrogen. The second would be soy. And contrary to many people's understanding, soy is very protective. The only people that shouldn't have it is if you have an allergy to soy and you just don't digest it well, which is not uncommon. 
you'd have gas and bloating if you have soy, or if you are on an aromatase inhibitor. So some women, after they've had breast cancer, if they're postmenopausal, they're given a drug that wipes out the estrogen. So after menopause, your estrogen is manufactured in your fat cells. The aromatase inhibitor prevents estrogen from being made in the fat cells. So in that case, there's virtually no estrogen. So you don't want to give the phytoestrogens to those people with no estrogen because we really don't know how it's going to act. But otherwise, the soy uh, can inhibit uh, breast cancer by about 30%. So when you take 11 grams of soy a day, it should be organic. So it could be tofu, it could be tempeh, it could be edamame, it could be a glass of soy milk, it could be miso. Any of those are very protective. And then the third strong phytoestrogen are pumpkin seeds. So I have a pumpkin seed protein powder that I love to use. It's really delicious tasting, and I mix it in with smoothies on a regular basis, uh, or you could throw pumpkin seeds in your salad, pumpkin seeds in a snack with goji berries. Goji berries are also preventative. So those are some foods. Another superfood for preventing breast cancer is pomegranate. So every part of the pomegranate um, helps to reduce the risk of breast cancer. I try to eat pomegranate a day. I love it added to my salad. It adds like this juicy, flavorful burst to the salad. So that's great. Another category of foods would be the cruciferous vegetables. So cabbage, broccoli, um, cauliflower, kale, especially raw. So then we go more to the kale and the cabbage and maybe some cauliflower. Uh, so the raw brassicas contain indole-3-carbonyl, which helps your liver break down estrogen to a safe form. So you want, I don't know, the, the ideal amount of indole-3-carbonyl is three or 400 milligrams a day, which would be a third of a cabbage a day. <laughs> so right. we, can, we can basically encourage women to make sauerkraut and to make more coleslaw and have a little bit of that every day. Uh, so that's a good, good, good way to use the cabbage. Uh, some other foods that are preventative and helpful would be selenium, selenium found in Brazil nuts. So two or three Brazil nuts a day gives you selenium. Selenium is anti-cancer. Um, another food would be onions and garlic. So the garlic inhibits cell division, stalls cell division in breast cancer cells. And then the spices, especially turmeric. Um, but all the spices are, are inhibitory for breast cancer. It's just so many foods, but it, it's, it's, it's a vegan, mostly a vegan diet that would be the diet that I believe is most protective against breast cancer. And so we want tons of fruits and vegetables, lots of spices, lots of herbs, lots of legumes, and, and moderate amounts of fruit. And then be careful with the carbs, be careful with the rice, go with quinoa, go with barley, go with things that are lower glycemic. So you don't want a, a, a diet that increases blood sugar. You want to keep your blood sugar balanced. So low on the grains, but high in all those other things and lots of seaweed. And so that's the kind of diet that's protective. Yeah, because low sugar is also important, isn't it? Low sugar. The sugar, um, there's a number of hormones that increase breast cancer risk other than estrogen. Uh, insulin is another one. So when insulin is high, and it could be high because of stress, it could be high because you eat a lot of sugar and carbs, it could be high because you're overweight, you don't exercise. So when insulin is higher, our breast cancer risk goes up. And then IGF-1 is another hormone. It's the highest hormone that uh, when its levels are high, it um, 
the breast cancer risk goes up seven times. And what increases IGF-1 is um, meat and dairy, meat and dairy consumption. So that's why we need more of a vegan diet. And what lowers IGF-1 is intermittent fasting. So that's another principle is just is include some fasting on a regular basis in your, in your lifestyle and the way you use food. And that could be like 16 hours between dinner and breakfast, or it could be fast one day a week or two days a month, something, some form of fasting. And then that helps to reset insulin and IGF-1. Beautiful. I love that. And you also mentioned rebounding which is yeah so so exercise in general and we you know most of the research suggests at least 40 minutes a day so 40 to 60 minutes a day of exercises exercise can reduce the breast cancer risk by up to 60 percent maybe 30 percent on average but up to 60 percent that's a lot and so that could be walking walking it's totally fine, uh, but it also could be jumping a little trampoline, although you're not going to jump on a trampoline for 40 minutes. I don't know very many people that could do that because it's it, you expend a lot of energy. But the uh, advantage of the mini trampoline or the rebounder is that when you're jumping, your lymphatic system gets a workout. So the lymph moves up uh, to this area, and you need the squeezing of the muscles uh, against those lymphatic vessels to move the lymph. And when the lymph moves, you're cleansing the body on a cellular level and you're activating your immune system. Your white blood cells are in the lymph nodes that will then get rid of the, the toxins that, that come into, into the uh, white blood cells, into the lymph nodes. Um, so rebounding is great exercise. It's, it's aerobic as well as it activates the lymph. But any, any exercise works, really. I mean, there's lots of yoga that moves the lymph and jogging and swimming as long as it's not in a chlorinated pool whatever someone likes to do just get moving you know about 40 minutes a day exactly i took up trampoline for a few years and so two or three times a week did four, uh, 45 minutes to an hour and i started to realize the benefits of rebounding and i've written quite a bit about it so oh fantastic that's yeah. fantastic yeah. yeah and it's fun <laughs> You also write a lot about the mindset and, you know, let's just talk about that. So there's a few things we know from the research about who is like, not, I won't say likely, but um, what kind of mindset seems to be more predominant in women who get breast cancer. So one of them is when there's repressed anger. So if we have been holding in resentment for years and are, don't easily express it, then that seems to be linked with more susceptibility. It doesn't cause it, but it, there's an increased susceptibility to breast cancer. So what that teaches us is that we, we want to name what we're feeling. We want to be in touch with the body, know when we're triggered by something, know when we're reacting to something and be able to express ourselves and say, no, hey, this isn't okay with me, or this isn't what I want right now. But women are often culturally sort of trained to be pleasers or do-gooders or be available to everyone to help. Um, and, and so it's it, part of the journey is, is learning to say, learning to say no um, and standing up for ourselves and really, really putting ourselves first. 
And sometimes breast cancer is almost like an initiation into that. It gives women permission to finally say, hey, me first, I've been doing this for everybody else for so long, it's my turn. And uh, so that's very valuable. Something else that's linked with breast cancer is, um, is chronic depression. So chronic depression, again, holding the emotions in, hold, you know, the emotions are depressed, something's not being expressed. So the real key is, is, is connect to yourself and your passion and purpose, really. What's your passion? What's your purpose? Who are you? Why are you here? And how can we, how can we enliven that? How can we bring that out of a person? So that's what's important. I've also, in the last couple years, recognized, I didn't realize this when I wrote my book, but books, but I recognized that um, childhood trauma has uh, a big link with breast cancer. And what I found to be most consistent, I haven't researched this per se, but when I ask women about what's happened to them in their childhood, and it's usually, it usually comes out when I'm asking them about the, the breast cancer itself and their symptoms. It seems to me that many women were separated from their mothers for a month or two months or a year and when they were very young children. So it could be someone who was adopted. It could be someone whose mother left and left for a year and then came back. It could be somebody who was in the hospital for three months when they were very young, under two years old, and then and the mother wasn't there. So and then later in life there's another event that happens that triggers that initial loss. So it could be that close family member dies or there's another loss and then that triggers the wound that was unconscious from childhood and then sometimes women get breast cancer after that so that's something that i've noticed that seems to be a correlate um and when you think about what the breasts represent right they represent nurturing nurturing uh for our children uh so they they're they're linked with our our mothers our mothers who nurtured us our children who we nurture and our partners. So another link to breast cancer could be a, a woman who's got a problem with her partner and they're just not getting along or the partner had an affair, but something's unexpressed in terms of the relationship with the partner and something's not quite right and she's not able to express it. So th this whole idea of self-expression is really important that we want to um, sort of tap into what emotions in, in these women who are diagnosed with breast cancer have not been expressed and create modalities so that they can be, first of all, felt, because a lot of times they're just unconscious and so the body is expressing it. So we have to learn to feel them and then give ourselves permission to express them and, and to feel safe enough to then to do something about what it is. And the funny, not the funny thing, but the interesting thing is that cancer often becomes that turning point. Uh, Lawrence Lachan wrote a wonderful book a long time ago, Cancer is a Turning Point. So the cancer becomes a turning point in a person's life where they can finally then take, uh, take charge of their emotions and learn to express some of those things that are going on. Exactly. And so much of it can lay in the unconscious and it be, you know, you can see it as an opportunity to heal that yeah. from it. It's, it yeah. can be seen as a beautiful thing. Yeah. What are some of the ways that you suggest people heal those deep wounds? I love homeopathy. Um, 
Oh my God, homeopathy is wonderful. But you know, I, I have been working with Dr. Gabor Mate for a number of years. And he uses a technique he calls compassionate inquiry. And I've been working with him to uh, train others in that method. And it's brilliant. So it's very uh, body focused, emotion focused, um, um, questioning really with the person that reveals a lot of what's unconscious and brings it out into the surface. And the therapist or naturopath, whoever, whoever is the provider, is like the, the relational container that was missed in childhood because it turns out that it's not so much what happened. You know, the trauma that happened isn't the real trauma. The trauma is that there was no one to talk to about it. And so it got internalized and, and then it goes into the tissues. And so it's almost like that early trauma needs completion. You know, it needs someone to help a, a person to be in relationship uh, to, to bring that healing to completion that was not healed as a child. So although homeopathy, I, I love homeopathy and I think it's, it works well, it doesn't do that because we need to be with one another to do that, you know? And so Compassion Inquiry is a, is a system that does that really beautifully. And then we learn to do it with ourselves, to inquire, what am I feeling right now? What's the sensation? What's going on there? Okay, that. What's the emotion? Oh, there it is. Mm -hmm. When did I first have this emotion? Oh, right. I, this is familiar to me. It was when I was three or four. And then you really investigate it. And then, and then you bring it to, you do some healing that happens around that through the other person. So it's a, it's a beautiful process. So that for me is, is the best thing I've found so far is compassion choir because it's about the relationship with somebody to help you heal. It's caring, yeah. safe, loving. Yeah. And, and when we're young, we have no way of consciously telling ourselves that this isn't, you know, life-threatening or the pain that it is perceived to be because we have no way of talking to ourselves. So it gets yeah, so right. in the body. Yeah. Right. If, 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 our, if the parents aren't paying attention and noticing that something's going on with the child, let's say, um, let's say, you know, for a child, the mother dies or the dog dies even. Even mm -hmm. the dog dies when the child is five years old. And the dog was the child's friend. And then no one works with that child to grieve the dog or bury the dog or talk about death. You know, the, ch the child's not allowed to cry, whatever. If that, if that emotional event doesn't go to completion with, with just expression, crying, someone being there to hold the child, then where can it go inward? And it just, it gets suppressed. And it's those sorts of things that then show up later in life as an illness, particularly when there's a current trigger that brings up the same original pain. But the thing is that the person has usually no idea that this pain is coming from childhood. And that's where you need a process inquiry to, to reveal that, you know, to reveal what's going on. Yeah. Beautiful. And our body is a mirror. Of the body is, is a recorder. It records everything. Mm -hmm. The body is a tape recorder, video recorder. You know, it records everything. And, and so here's where the mind-body techniques like yoga, meditation, um, 
body scans are so important for us because we've you know we we just we're so much in our heads this culture and we would need to learn again how to how to tap into the messages from the body and really listen to them and um find out what they're saying and then do what do what needs to be done to address it yeah so. And even to become aware after a big hurt or pain where you, yeah. can, you often feel it in your body. Yeah. Just yeah. become aware. But to, I love this technique that you're talking about. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. It's not so much they have to do anything about it. It's, it's the awareness is the healing. It's, you know, when I'm doing compassion inquiry with a, with a client or a patient, it's like you just hold space for them to go into the body and feel the sensations and name the emotion. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling angry. It's hard for them to get to sometimes. What's the emotion? And the way I see it, it's like the awareness of the person itself is scouring. You know, it's like excavating. It's, you just don't hold that until that excavation through awareness happens. It's almost like then that's what's pulling the stuff out. So it's a fascinating, really fascinating, beautiful, beautiful process to, to take part in with somebody. Incredible. Hmm. Now, you mentioned the, the tips. Can you repeat where people can find that? Because I think that could be... Yeah. Um, so on Facebook, if you go to Mamalive Foundation for Women's Health and Education. Is it Women's Health or Breast Health? One or, one or the other. But Mamalive Foundation. M-A-M-M-A-L-I-V-E. Mamalive foundation there's also a mammalivefoundation.org website and they're all lined up there but we post one a day on on facebook okay and that's going on right now yeah it's going on right now so today what day is it today is it the 14th or the 15th today 14th. so we've posted 14 tips already yeah and the first one is 40 minutes of exercise a day. I think the second one is uh, sleep in a dark room. Uh, so they're very simple, but I know, I know without a doubt that we could bring down the global incidence of breast cancer, I think by at least, at least 50%, at least 50%, if people just followed these little tips. They're not yeah. hard, they're simple. Two tablespoons of flaxseed a day. Yeah. You know, one teaspoon of turmeric a day. I mean, it's just a lot of little things really add up and make a big difference. And some of those things you can combine. <laughs> yeah. Shake or, you know, in your cereal. Yeah. Them, yeah. No, that's what I'm always, it's always on my brain, you know. How can I make this simple for people? How can, how can we uh, make this easy? And what do we tell them? And so I come up with all these great recipes that have everything in mind. <laughs> yeah. and how do people get in touch with you if they want to uh, well my website is uh, saddamkar.com and uh, my email is saddamkar at gmail.com so it's s-a-t-d-h-a-r-a-m-k-a-u-r at gmail.com great so that's how people get in touch with me and i'll include that in the description Great. And your book, you can find that on um, on Amazon. That's yeah, right. you can find, I mean, I've written three books on women's health. Um, 
this this one, the complete natural medicine guide to breast cancer. I think that one might be out of print, but you can likely still find it someplace. And then the other one is the complete uh, natural guide to women's health. Right. As you can see, it's well used. I use it all the time in my practice. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful and full, jam packed full of good information. Yeah. So worthy, so worth a read. Is awareness is the start, and like yeah. you say, doing these simple things every day. Simple things every day, and making it a lifestyle. And you know, all of the tips for breast health are also tips for longevity. Mm -hmm. There's not much difference, you know. You you whether it's the supplements or the diet, it's it's a diet for longevity. Period. So sometimes women, after a diagnosis of breast cancer, they're reluctant to keep on with a particular diet because they, oh, you know, I don't want to think about it anymore. Yeah, I'll turn it around. Think, okay, longevity. You know, I'm just going to do this for longevity. Right. And then, yeah. And I, I love, you know, and you're doing it because you love yourself. And I think finding your passion in life is really important too. Being passionate. And, no, absolutely. Yeah. You know, my... Um, I've been very fortunate because there's something in me that has to have meaning. I can't live without meaning and a sense of purpose. And um, I go crazy, really. I, I get into despair. If I don't have significant meaning and purpose, I'll go into despair. So I learned a long time ago that I had to create this meaning and purpose for myself. No one's going to do it for me. So I'm always... Um, not always, but I, I, my life has been a series of wonderful fulfillments um, because I've generated, a, you know, a project or a goal or whatever that I'm passionate about, and then I fulfill it, and then I, another one comes along, and it's been a wonderful thing. But I think, I think when I was younger, I, I, I remember when I was in my twenties, and one of the things I would say to myself is, you know, when is life going to happen? I feel like I'm in a waiting room. I'm waiting for something to happen. And then in my 30s, I recognize I have to make it happen. No one's going to do it. I, I have to create this. And so I've been doing that ever since my, my early 30s. And uh, I feel so blessed that, that it's just part of my character, I guess, uh, that independent streak and creative streak that's allowed me to do that. Yeah. It's pulled me out of states of depression just asking how can i help and going going into your heart and asking yeah. how can i help and the answers always come yeah how can i help or what am i to do you know or how can i serve those are the those are the, how can i help what am i to do you know we know you know our soul knows it's known since we incarnated in this lifetime so that's what we have to tap into and when we're not tapped into that that's when we get sick because the illness is, is just trying to get you back to doing that. Exactly. Have you ever had a moment that is especially memorable where you, you came upon, you know, the next thing that you were passionate about? Well, I, I guess when, uh, you know, I'm very, bu I, I was very busy as a naturopathic doctor. I was very busy as a Kundalini yoga teacher. And then I became very busy teaching about breast health. Then I became very busy teaching about overcoming addiction. And I thought that that was enough. 
I thought, I can't do any more than this. And then I started working with uh, Dr. Gabor Maté by inviting him to teach part of the Beyond Addiction program with me. And I couldn't stop um, recording him. Like I would videotape him. It was going to be in the Beyond Addiction program. And it was fascinating because my husband said, aren't you done yet? Don't you have enough footage? Because I would keep inviting him to, to teach with me one more time and record it. And I said, because it was costing a lot of money to do, and, and I didn't really know, I didn't really have a plan. And I just said to my husband, I don't know, but I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. And then now, this is maybe five years later, we have this huge training in compassionate inquiry that's global, and it's the biggest thing I've ever, you know, helped to co-create. And I, I just followed my nose. I just listened and said, no, I'm not done yet. I don't know what I'm building, but I'm not done. So you just got to trust yes. where your intuition is guiding you. And, and that's a feeling. It's a feeling of, I, I don't know, but it feels right. Yeah. And, and don't talk yourself out of those things. So I've been, I've been lucky that way. I've always followed, been able to follow, even though I'm out there in the fringes, I've been able to follow what feels right and just go with it. Yeah. It's an important, wonderful key to just listen to your intuition. Yeah. So that's how that program became born. Such a beautiful story. It did. It did. I mean, it's Gabor's work, all Gabor's work, but but it was it was because I I followed my intuition that the and I was able to structure it yeah. because I already had this experience in structuring the other programs I did. Yeah. That, that I put a structure to that, and now it's global. So it's amazing. Incredible. So how do people find this? CompassionateInquiry.com. Okay. CompassionateInquiry.com. And, and uh, we have another train. We do three trainings a year. It's a year-long program for professionals, or there's a lay program that anyone can take um, uh, that's a shorter. You can just you know, go through it at your own pace. But the professional training is a year-long, very intense program. Um, fantastic, though. The, the next one will start in the beginning of February. Yeah. Perfect. I bet there's someone out there who says, I'm going to follow my passion. And that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If I wasn't doing this podcast right now, <laughs> and I might anyway. I just love the sounds of it. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and sharing. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. It's been awesome to be with you. Incredible knowledge. Thank you so much. And to everyone out there, don't forget, don't give away your power to anyone else.